Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today, we're going to be discussing the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Tuesday, we preached on the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire, but how many of you know, hey, Gloria, good to see you. How many of you understand that though if a house has electricity running through its walls, if there's electricity in my house, I've paid the bill and hydro supplying electricity to this address on the south shore of the island of Montreal. If I want to cook something, I can't just rely on the electricity to cook me a meal. I have to do something like buy an appliance called an oven or a microwave, or whatever. I'd have to buy an appliance. I'd have to buy an oven, plug it into the electric current so that I can now harness the power of the electricity so that it can produce something for me, beneficial for me. And so I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in order for the power of God to produce for you, you have to learn how to harness that power and direct it to what you desire in life and the gifts of the Holy Ghost are exactly that the gifts of the Spirit is the way God harnesses his power through us to target it at a specific goal and objective that we want done in life whether it be in a family whether it be in a church context or even individually and I'm going to show you from the scripture how the gifts of the Spirit they're not something that are relegated to just a specific group of individuals. You know, it's for the pastor on Sunday morning and uh, it's for the evangelist. If you're in the ministry, these things are interesting for you. But if you're not in the, in the ministry, then you might, you might as well just, you know, skip over 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and move on to chapter 15 afterwards and get through, you know, no point in reading something that's not pertinent to you. But I want to show you from the scriptures that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are very pertinent to the body of Christ as a whole, as a whole. That it doesn't matter what part of the body you belong to. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the toe in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you feel like you are the ear of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're the, or, the pancreas. It doesn't matter what you are. If you're part of the body of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that these gifts are to flow through you. God expects these gifts to flow through you. God desires for these gifts to flow through you. But the gifts will not flow until there's a craving in your heart for these things to flow. And there won't be a craving until you understand from the scriptures on how to operate. You know, I... I I can tell you, you know, if I bought a, a, a PlayStation game and I had my wife try and play it and she didn't know how, she didn't understand the game or whatever, she's not going to have a desire to play that game ever again. You know, you get someone, a kid grows up, parents try to put him in soccer or something, but he sucks, can't play soccer very well. And so he's not going to have a desire to play soccer. He's not going to have a desire. It's like me. I have no desire to draw. I have no desire to, to do anything artistic because I have zero understanding on how to draw even a circle. So I don't want to go in further on how to do the rest. So when you don't have an understanding of something, it actually zaps out and disappoints, discourages you from ever even taking a foot of faith 
a step of faith that uh, towards operating in those things. So, But there are certain things that there's no choice. The gifts of the Spirit are part of that. There's no choice. We don't have an option. These gifts are to flow through us if we're going to impact our generation. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5, to that there are weapons of warfare that belong to us in the body of Christ. The Scripture says, though we war in the flesh... Though the, we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare, they are mighty for the pulling down of demonic strongholds to take everything captive to the obedience of Christ. So there are satanic forces, Ephesians 6, 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But the Bible doesn't say that we're helpless or at the mercy of these spiritual forces in heavenly places that's why paul takes three whole chapters to show you some of the weapons that god has the arsenal god has available for us to use not only so that we can resist the enemy not only so we can you know we're not called to coexist with satanic powers we're not called to just bear and endure the devil's attacks on our life we are called to have overwhelming victory in every battle of life and the way we enforce that victory is through challenge and harnessing these gifts called the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But even if you, if you went to war, if they got me to go to war, I have never shot an automatic rifle. I don't know how to shoot. I wouldn't even know how to take off the safety pin because I, I'm not very versed in, those, in, 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 in guns and stuff, in military weaponry. So if they threw me in war without knowledge of the weapon, it doesn't matter what good intentions I have. It doesn't matter what desperation and heart. It doesn't matter how loud of a war cry I shout. If I don't know how to use the weapon, I will, I will not make it in war. If, they, if we were back in the 1300s, 1200s, and I was sent to war with a sword, if I didn't know how to practically use a sword and was an expert in sword use, usage, in, 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 in uh, operating a sword, I, I'd be in great trouble. No matter, no matter what, how weak of a swordsman, didn't matter if he was a level one swordsman that came against me, if I had zero knowledge on how to operate a sword... <laughs> It doesn't matter how weak of a demon comes against you. If you have zero knowledge on the practical usage of these gifts, the operational function of these gifts, you're going to live a very tired, hard, frustrating life. But I'm believing today. The Bible says in Proverbs that understanding is like a wellspring of life. And as you come into the understanding of the practical usage of these gifts, it's going to produce a wellspring of life in you that the next time the enemy comes your way and tries to make life miserable for you, you will have what we like to call a counterattack. And the Bible says, by the weapons of our warfare, we have the ability to subdue kingdoms. We have the ability to obtain the promises of God. We have the ability to 
cast down every imagination and every foreign entity that would try to rise against us. The Bible says no weapon formed against his church shall ever be able to prosper as long as the church is being the church it's been called to be. And the church was never called to go to war without weapons. The church was not called to go to war without having tools in their hands. And the tools, I'm not going to war leaving the tools behind me. I'm going to war with the armor of God on me, the weapons and the gifts and the swords that the, the gifts of the Spirit present for us so that I know that just like Jesus said, that um, you are more than conquerors through all things, in all things through Jesus Christ who loved you. I'm not called to be less than a conqueror. I'm not called even to be just a conqueror. I'm called to be more than a conqueror. And the way you take ground in life is by the demonstration of, these, of this power through these gifts. If you're just tuning in now, I'd, I'd be encouraged if you shared the broadcast. Let's help grow this, uh, this, this audience today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit has been on the earth since Genesis. The Holy Spirit desires to be actively engaged in your life. Genesis 1, chapter 2, the Bible says, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says that he was brooding over the surface of the deep. So the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Holy Spirit was involved in the incarnation of Christ. The Bible says the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and that which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then it goes on. Furthermore, Jesus said, the one who's been helping me these years, when I go, don't get discouraged. You've seen me operate in these gifts. Now, you have to see that everything, every demonstration of God's power, of Christ's power on the earth through his earthly ministry. That wasn't him operating because he was the son of God. Those, those, those are, uh, that is why those things happened through his life. It wasn't because he was the son of God. Every demonstration of power in the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ came as a result of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through him. That's why Jesus had to fast and pray. If Jesus just operated because and, and had those miracles and signs and wonders because he was the Son of God alone, then he wouldn't have had to fast and pray. He could have just gone straight into the ministry. At age 12, he would have been doing all kinds of miracles. At age 15, he, I mean, by age 30, the whole world would have been won over. So it, he wasn't operating that way because he was the Son of God. The reason why the miracle power of God, you know, the word of knowledge, and we're going to learn about these revelatory gifts, all those gifts began to flow through him was because he was operating by the power of the Holy Ghost. When he came in uh, John chapter 1, when he goes and um, Philip brings to him, uh, Nicodem not Nicodemus, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel comes to him and he said, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the moment Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, hey, behold, in Israel, indeed, in whom there's no deceit, no guile. And, he's, and Nathaniel looked back to him and said, man, uh, how do you know who I am? And he said, before Philip or Andrew, whichever one it was, called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathanael was taken back. That was the word of knowledge at work that Jesus saw him in the spirit. The word of knowledge, and we're going to get more into it and more in depth into it, but the word of knowledge is pretty much God giving you a piece of information that could not be known 
through the basic senses of man, the eyes, the sight, the hearing, the touch. So Jesus had never actually, his eyes had never seen Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. Jesus' eyes did not, it's not like he was spying on him throughout the day and, you know, he was playing it. No, the gifts of the Spirit are totally supernatural. There's nothing natural about these gifts. There's nothing ordinary about these gifts. A long time, the gifts of the Spirit were taught like the gift of the word of wisdom was just when people are a little more smart than others. And uh, if that were the case, you know, the Bible talks about Peter operating by the word of wisdom and Paul operating by the word of wisdom and John operating by the word of wisdom. And even the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were uneducated and untrained people. To the human eye, these people were not very bright. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that know this, that when you were called according to the flesh, not many of you were noble according to human standards. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were the brightest. Not many of you were the sharpest tool in the shed. Not many of you were, were strong or noble or mighty. But God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are mighty. God hath chosen the things which are not to shame the things which are, and he's chosen the things which are not very bright, the foolish things to shame the things that are wise. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that when the Holy Ghost came, God brought the wisdom of this world to naught. He made foolish the wisdom of this world. That's why Paul says, where's the scribe? Where's the disputer? Where's the wise, the wise men of this age? Has not God made foolish the wise things of this world through the power of God at work through very plain, simple individuals. So if you're watching today and you say, man, I'm not the brightest guy in my family. Neither was Gideon. He was the least, his tribe was the least in Israel and he was the least in his in his, his family was the least in his tribe and he was the least in his family. He was literally the least of the least. So if you feel like you're not, you don't have much to offer, you're exactly where God wants you to be because Jesus said that even I could do nothing on my own initiative. Paul said, I am what I am because of God's grace working through me. Don't get discouraged. The Bible says very clearly that faithful is he who called you and he shall bring it to pass. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these were four slaves in Babylonian captivity. But if you read the book of Daniel chapter 1, God gave them wisdom and knowledge in all, in all literature and understanding so that when the king of Babylon interviewed them, they were found ten times wiser because of the operation of God's spirit in them so I tell you if you had it all by yourself you wouldn't need the spirit of God if you are great by yourself you wouldn't need the spirit of God Paul said that there's nothing without God there's nothing good that dwells in me I can do nothing on my own initiative but on the flip side Philippians 4 13 I know many of you know this scripture verse and I, I pray if you don't this gets into your spirit that Paul said I can do all things through through Christ, Christ, the anointing, through the anointing who strengthens me. That's why when they came to Jesus, scribes, religious scholars, people who had given their whole life over to studying the word of God, when they heard Jesus preach, they were astonished as they heard his doctrine. For he, they, they, they were taken back, for he did not teach as the scribes taught, 
but he taught as one having real power. And they said, how does this man know letters, know the word, having never studied? Someone just wrote David. David was, a, a, I mean, when Jesse came to anoint, when Samuel came to anoint Jesse's sons, Jesse didn't even go and fetch David out from the shepherd's field. He kept him there. So if you think you're not qualified, that's exactly what makes you qualified to be used by God. And I pray that that humility never leaves you. As God, see, that's the, that's the danger. God begins to use somebody a little bit. They see a healing hop, uh, happen through their hands. They see a miracle. They prayed for something to happen. And then they get on a high horse, a spiritual high horse. And they think that they're the best thing since the apostle Paul. That I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you'll exalt yourself, you'll be flattened and abased and humbled. But if you'll stay in that attitude of humility, that only through God, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Jesus said, the Father who worketh in me, he doeth the works. If you'll keep in that attitude of humility, it's by pride that comes nothing but trouble and strife and downfall. But by humility and the fear of the Lord come riches, honor, and life. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. <coughs> Isn't that interesting? The first thing Paul does in opening up this, these three chapters where he's going to discuss the spiritual gifts, which by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul was not writing it with uh, the idea of weddings in mind, although it's, it, it is applicable. You can read it at a wedding, no, no problem there. But the whole 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you should remove the chapter division and read it as one flowing uh, letter. And don't make any pauses in between because the 13, actually, it's not like, you know, Paul had ADD and he got sidetracked and then he comes back, oh, let me get back to what I was saying. No, the whole thing fits together. But I want you to notice how he starts concerning spiritual gifts which if you study the actual greek it says concerning the things of the spirit i would not have you ignorant isn't it funny that the one thing paul says i don't want you to be ignorant of is the thing that the north american church at large is the most ignorant on people don't have any training that's why the gifts of the spirit do not flow in most churches because Acts 19, when Paul came to Ephesus, the upper region, and he found that there were disciples there, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? Paul, uh, the disciples replied, we haven't even heard whether there even be a Holy Spirit. And so they didn't receive because what's not preached and taught to you, there will never be a functioning in those areas. That's why uh, the Bible says in the book of Haggai, not Haggai, what is it? Yeah, Haggai, chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. Isaiah 5, 14. My people have gone into captivity and into the wilderness because... Of their ignorance. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. We are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Lest we, can, lest we should be taken advantage of. So what you are not taught and preached to. You'll never flow in those things. So what did Paul do? He preached the Holy Ghost. He preached. No. John the Baptist baptized with, with water. Saying to the people. Hosea. That's it. Thank you Corey saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, whose sandal straps he's not worthy to untie, and by him, Jesus, he'll baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. And when they received that teaching, he laid hands on them, 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and magnify God. So you see, Paul didn't say, oh, you never received the Holy Ghost? Well, lift your hands. No, he took time to then preach doctrine to them. Doctrine is important. Uh, until you have a foundation of the Word of God in your spirit, you'll never take advantage of any area of the Word of God that you're ignorant to. You'll never benefit of anything listed in God's Word that you're ignorant to. Ignorance will kill you. He that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. If you wander from the way of God's understanding of God's ways, you'll rest in the assembly of those that are spiritually dead, not even saved. Your life will have no distinction between anybody else's life. Nobody will be able to tell that you're a Christian. But when understanding comes and the, the Bible says the spirit of wisdom and revelation begins to flood your heart with light, then you start to take part in the surpassing greatness of God's power and people around you start to know that you're not operating on the same frequency of results that everyone else is in. That's why Pharaoh, when, you know, Joseph had the, revel had, um, the, the gifts of revelation take place in his own life. That's an Old Testament type of uh, the, 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 word of, the word of knowledge. When the king, when the Pharaoh came to him and said, tell me what my dream was and interpret it for me. Well, that, <laughs> that takes the hand of God. It's like, what, I wasn't in your bed. I wasn't in your mind that night when you slept. How would I know? But the Bible says he gave a perfect interpretation. That's the word of, of knowledge. And then gave a word of wisdom which is a word of the future, a word of the hidden wisdom of God, what's not yet known to men, the future. And he told them, there's going to be seven years of famine, uh, seven years of prosperity, and then seven years of famine, and you're to take, take heed how you deal with your, your resources in the seven years of prosperity, and that'll spare you from the rest of the world in the seven years of famine. And what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh said of Joseph, there is one in whom is the spirit of the living God. And he gave him the signet ring of his kingdom. And he said, in everything that this kingdom operates, it'll operate by your word. Only in regards to the throne, that I'll be that's where I'll be hired in you. But in everything else, my kingdom shall run according to your word. He went from a prisoner, someone who was, uh, you know, as a... Uh, in prison and jailed as a convicted rapist. And in one day, by the operation of these gifts, he went from the prison to second in command, the prime minister of Egypt, and had control over the, all the resources. He became the economic analyst of, of Egypt. So that when the famine did come, and people wanted to come and get food, they wanted resources. They had to go and convince Joseph to release resources their way. I tell you, as these gifts begin to operate through your life, today will be the lowest you're ever at. From this moment onward, your, your trajectory will be that of upward. God, God is going to cause this power to flow through you and as a result man will see that the hand of God is on your life and things won't go the same way they've always been in Jesus name first Corinthians chapter 12 I don't want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led so that's another thing is if the if the church doesn't take uh, a stand and begin to flow in these gifts the enemy has a counterfeit for everything God wants to do that's why you see there's fortune tellers and palm readers and all kinds of occultic practices that people flood to and run to because if the church is not demonstrating 
giving what the people need. See, people, I don't understand. There's a lot of ministers who, you know, they always quote, Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. We're not seeking after signs and wonders. We're pressing in to God so that these things can start to flow through us so that not us seeking signs and wonders that the world can see the signs and wonders just like Jesus said in John 8 these people will never believe unless they see signs and wonders uh, Elijah in 1st Kings 18 when he was contending with the forces of hell on the the mount called Carmel and they, the prophets of Baal came and they began to cut themselves, crying out to their God and nothing happened. And then Elijah got up and said these words, which this should be the heart that you have for this generation. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God and that I am your servant and that by your word I have done these things. Answer by fire today. And when the fire of God, did, did God come down and tell Elijah, hey, listen, you need to stop with this fire stuff, this strange fire business. You know, I, ultimately, you know, the way I manifest myself is in peace. So just, just pray for the people to have peace. No, God sent fire and it consumed the altar. And what did it produce? Did it scare the people away? That's what people think. You know, the Bible says the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit are given to profit everybody. So God didn't say these gifts flowing in your life are going to scare people away. So don't have them in churches. Whatever you do, do not let anyone speak in tongues in a church service. Don't ever lay hands on the sick. Never work a miracle. Don't even talk about miracles. Don't even get people's hearts stirred up to have tongues interpretation. Just leave that out. If you want to have a backroom meeting, you go ahead and do that. But in a main service, you're going to scare the people away. Is that what happened in Elisha's day? When the fire fell, what happened? The people who had totally dismissed God as their God. They had gone after foreign gods. They had served the Baals. But when the fire fell, the people who had totally disregarded God came falling before their face and said, the Lord, he is God. And there was repentance. The hearts of the children of Israel were turned back to the Lord God of their fathers. That's what the gifts of the Spirit do. God did not implement these gifts to turn people away from the church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when the fire of God fell and they began to speak in other tongues, did the people come rushing together and say, man, I'll never go to that church. No, at first they began to mock it, but look what happened. That day, 3,000 people were added to the church in, in one day because they tied it into Joel's prophecy. I mean, you look in Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching to Sergius Paulos, the proconsul, And uh, the scripture says that there was a man, Elymas, whose name was Bar-Jesus, a, a, a sorcerer, who was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the words that Paul was preaching. And so that's why you have a lot of people that come to church, but because all there is is... Uh, an explanation of the gospel. There's no demonstration of the power of the gospel. People are turned away. They hear it. They might have the seed sown in their heart, but immediately the enemy comes and snatches the seed sown from their heart because it hasn't been sown deep. Because there wasn't a demonstration so that their faith would not rely on the wisdom of man or the word of man, but on the power of God, which saves such as do believe. So that's what happens. People come, they hear something, but nothing, if Jesus, you take the miracles of Jesus out of the Bible, he doesn't have much of a ministry. He's just another teacher 
He's a philosopher. He's someone who came to give, uh, to give encouragement, help people out a bit, but that's it. But Jesus' ministry, John chapter 2, the Bible says, And many believed on him when they saw the miraculous works which he did perform. So, I mean, you studied in one chapter of Matthew. It says, and great multitudes followed him. Then he heals the two blind men as he was walking on the way. And then great, the Bible says in the next verses, and very great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. And then in the next chapter it says, and the whole city came out to see him. It went from great multitudes, started to work in the, in the gifts of working of miracles, spat on their eyes, opened their eyes. Very great multitudes came. So great multitudes is good. Then very great multitudes began to flock to the church, to, to, to Jesus. And then he does another miracle. And then the whole city was moved and came out to see him. The reason why people don't want anything to do with the church of Christ on the earth isn't because our message has changed very much. It's because there's been a... a actually, the message has changed. It's just a, a, a self-help mental health message you know it's like a crutch that, that we're trying to give the people if you'll just lean on this it'll get you through the power of god these gifts were not given to us to get us through and just bear the attack and onslaught of hell the power of god these gifts were given to us to take total dominion over all the work of the devil and to show forth to let our light so shine in such a way that this generation would have no choice but to concede and to believe that there's no God but Jehovah. Therefore I make known to you that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. And no one, if you're tuning in now, you'd encourage me if you'd share the broadcast and um, help get the viewership up. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. We're going to see there's nine different gifts and they're separated into three categories. There's the gifts uh, of revelation, which is the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits, which we'll get into it a little more. Then there's the gifts of power, which is the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, and the gift of faith or special faith. And then there's a third category, that's called the gifts of inspiration, which is prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And all of these gifts di are different from one another, but the Bible says it's the same Spirit that worketh all these things. So whenever you see someone criticize working of miracles, or you see someone criticize healing in a service, or you see someone criticize tongues, they're actually criticizing the working of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said that every sin and blasphemy spoken against God the Father will be forgiven. Every blasphemy and sin against the Son will be forgiven. But he that blasphemes and sins against the Holy Ghost and attributes it his work to the work of Satan, that man is guilty of an everlasting sin and his sin will not be forgiven so that's called the unpardonable sin so be careful what you criticize better to keep your mouth shut and be perceived as wise than to open up your mouth and show everybody you're a fool verse 5 there are di diversities or differences of ministries but the same lord and we see there's different differences in the ministry of a pastor than there is in the ministry of an evangelist which i am there's the differences of a ministry of an apostle 
from the, the ministries of a teacher or a prophet. Prophet doesn't operate the same way. There are differences of ministries. And then it says there are diversities of activities or operations. But it's the same God who worketh all in all. So Jesus, you can see it. Differences of operations. In one uh, dealing with a blind person, he spat on the ground and made clay and wiped it on his eyes. In another dealing with a blind person, he just spat straight on his eyes. And in another dealing with a blind person, he touched his eyes. So there's different operations, but the results were the same. You see that? In uh, some, some more in Jesus' ministry. I mean, you see it when he, when he uh, spoke to Cornelius' servant and said, Go, your servant is made well. He spoke and gave the word. In another instance, in Jairus' daughter's situation, he went to the house when she was dead and laid hands on her. And then she, she came back to life, a 12-year-old girl. And he commanded that food be given her in that very hour. And word spread throughout the whole surrounding region. So there's differences in, of, of operations. He didn't always operate the same. Paul, the Bible says that when he was uh, in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, extraordinary miracles are done through the hands of Paul as aprons and handkerchiefs were brought from his body to those that were sick and he cast out demons and the sick were healed through the aprons and the handkerchiefs. Then you move on in Acts chapter 28, he goes into uh, the man Publius who was the leading citizen of the island and his father was sick with dysentery and fever and he laid hands on him and the sickness left him and then people came to him and he, and he healed them all and there was great joy in that city. So you see, there's differences of operation. That's why you don't criticize. Smith Wigglesworth once kicked a baby and it came back to life. A mother brought her dead baby to him, expecting him to just lay hands on him or, you know, just speak a word. But he kicked the baby, punted it, and it came, he came back to life. In another, uh, another instance, it's recorded that he was at the Glad Tidings Tabernacle in San Francisco, United States, California, and there was a dead person brought to him. And uh, he took the body off the stretcher and he slammed it against one of the pillars of the church and the body jerked back to life. So differences of, of operations, but it's the same spirit and it's the same power, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus, same resurrection flow of God's power on, on, the, on the scene. And the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. So you notice how Paul keeps saying the same spirit. The same spirit. There's not 18 different Holy Spirits. It's the same spirit working all these things. In the Old Testament, it was the dispensation where God the Father was at work. In the New Testament, the Bible says in the Gospels that Jesus Christ, the Son, uh, part of the Trinity was at work on the earth. That was his dispensation for three and a half years, 33 and a half years he operated. And then after Christ went, he announced a new dispensation, the dispensation of the Holy Ghost, where now it's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the active agent of the Godhead here on the earth. And this is how Paul says he works through us. You understand that a miracle, miracles don't just happen. We read it. It's the working of miracles by the same Spirit. So it's us. Paul is trying to say that we have to have a level of cooperation with the Spirit if this power is going to be at work in, our, in and through our life. Revival doesn't just happen. The Bible doesn't say 
And the disciples were scattered everywhere. And Philip went to Samaria and was in a closet praying somewhere. And he just prayed fervently. And all of a sudden, revival fire fell from heaven. And everyone began to be healed of palsy and paralysis. And there was great joy in the city. No, the Bible says Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And as he cooperated in preaching the unadulterated uh, word of God, the Bible says, and multitudes began to give heed to Philip's words as he spoke because miracles and signs and wonders were performed by his hands. The Bible says in Acts chapter 14 and verse 3, and the disciples stayed there a long while speaking boldly in the Lord and the Lord worked with them. The gifts of the Spirit are not going to be given to you on your lazy boy in your, uh, in your living room expecting things to turn around your the gifts of the spirit do not flow as you're sleeping at night they might you know in the gift of word of knowledge you might have a, a dream or some sort of word of wisdom and, and and prophetic revelation but i'm what i'm saying is that if that's all you do is sleep if, if they don't work if you don't work with them and function in them and and take responsibility with them the gifts will stop flowing the gifts will stop flowing because God doesn't sit with sitters, God moves with movers. They stayed there a long while speaking boldly in the Lord, and the Lord worked with them, granting signs to be done by their hands. So if you think you're going to operate in these things, never taking a step out, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I step out in a word of knowledge and I'm wrong? Then you're wrong. Get back in the prayer closet, pray and fast, and then step out again. Don't let the fear of you missing it rob you from ever taking the opportunity of actually operating and functioning in these gifts. That's right, John. It's use it or lose it with the gifts of the Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit worketh all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So a lot of people say, well, how many of you know the Holy Spirit is the distributor of these gifts, which is correct, and He gives them as He wills, which is correct. God does give them as He wills. But the Bible doesn't say that He randomly chooses people. Let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these things in the church, first apostles then prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, a varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? So people stop there and they say, you see, we're not all called to work miracles. We're not all called to operate in the gifts of healings. We're, all not, all, we're not all called to speak in other tongues. Understand that Paul here is listing in the context of a church service. So he's saying in one church service, not everyone should be going around working miracles. In one church service, not everyone should be teaching. That would be disorderly. Not everyone should be speaking in tongues at the same time and giving interpretations at the same time. As the Bible says, if any man speaks in a tongue in a church context, there's pub these gifts are for public worship. There's private worship, which is the... The, uh, your prayer language, the, the, the ability to speak in tongues privately, which the Bible says came on them in Acts chapter 2, that benefits you. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. 
And Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. But in a church context, he's speaking of church context, church services. I would rather speak five words of, uh, of a language you understand than 10,000 words in a language of angels or in some unknown tongue. Because it doesn't benefit you. So he's saying, do all speak in tongues at the same time and then everyone giving their own interpretations? No, that wouldn't benefit. It would be disorderly. Nobody would even understand or hear. There'd be too much noise. But then people say, well, then why do people, in, uh, why does a pastor get up and say, if you know how to pray in other tongues, just pray in, pray in the spirit right now. Let's, let's contend with the power of God. That's different. We're not all praying in other tongues to receive different interpretations throughout the service. That's just building up an anointing in the, in the meeting. And people say, well, that's disorderly. Well, if that's disorderly, then so was Acts chapter 2 because they all spoke with other tongues and the Bible says they were magnifying God. So can it be used in a disorderly manner? Absolutely. But you have to put a distinction between what Paul is listing out as gifts for public worship and public service and then your private uh, tongue language or private prayer language so we read here he distributes each one individually as he wills now listen to verse 31 first corinthians 12 31 but earnestly desire the best gifts and i'll show you a more excellent way now skip verse skip forward to chapter 14 verse 1 pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy so the bible says Yes, he distributes each one individually as he wills. But it doesn't say he wills to give him randomly that there's some lottery system in heaven and a ball comes out and he says, well, now serving number 48. No. The Bible says you are to earnestly covet spiritual gifts. That word covet, earnestly covet, is the Greek word zelu which means to burn for passion for, to burn with passion for. It means to, to, to hunger after, to pursue and chase until one acquires. How do you pursue and chase? How, what demonstrates to God that you're hungry and thirsty for these gifts to, to follow? Number one, there has to be a desire for unity and love in your heart. Because you can read in 1 Corinthians 12, it says we are members of his body and, uh, and members in particular. And then it says, no man who says he's the eye can say to the foot, I have no need of you. There should be no schisms or division in the body of Christ if these things are to flow. So if you're a divisive person, these things will not flow. So one of the ways you can show God you're hungry for these gifts to flow is to settle any account you have with anybody that there's been disunity with. There has to be love and unity. 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the tongues of men, and if I give my body to be burnt at the stake, if I have the gift of faith and the operation of prophecy in my life, so as to know all the knowledge and the mysteries of the world and faith, to, so as to remove all mountains, but I have not love, I've become nothing and I've profited nothing. If I have tongues so as to speak in the language of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like a clanging cymbal and a disturbing sound of a, bra of a brass instrument played unruly. So love has to be. That's why I love how 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, the middle of it is the love chapter. Because even Paul said, if there's prophecies, they'll some of them will fail. 
But love never fails. And love is kind. Love does not boast in oneself. Love is not prideful. Love does not act unbecomingly. So pretty much, if you want these things to flow in your life, everything 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is kind, love is patient. If those things aren't at work in your life, there will be a disconnect in the flow of God's power and there will not be any outward manifestation of them. So one of the ways you, 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 you show desperation to God is to settle your accounts and, and guard your heart against disunity. Psalm 133, how pleasant and precious it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil falling from heaven, descending upon Aaron, reaching to his beard, even to his garments. So the oil, symbolic of the anointing, God said is released when the brethren dwell together in unity. That's why Jesus had the Spirit without measure. Because He had unity without measure. He was always bridging. He came to bridge the gap between man and God. And He felt compassion. The gifts always flow through compassion. There has to be compassion. The Bible says in Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them. And he told his disciples, the people are like sheep without shepherds, distressed and dispirited. I have compassion for them. And he appointed them and gave them power over unclean spirits. So that power came as a result of an overflow of compassion that gripped Christ's heart. The Bible says the very reason Christ rose from the dead was because of love. Love is stronger than death, Songs of Solomon says. It was the love at work for humanity that the power of God came and raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So if the greatest demonstration of God's power, which was Christ's resurrection, came as a result of a flow of love and compassion, then the rest of the gifts will have to come the same way. Hey, Evangelist Kofi, great man of God. I'd encourage you, if you don't follow him already, to follow him. A great and dear friend of mine. Anointed. So there has to be a flow of compassion. The Bible says, Paul said in the, in the book of Corinthians, the love of Christ compels me. Compassion compels to action, and it's only in a love-motivated action that the gifts of the Spirit flow easily, effortlessly. No wonder Paul when he saw that slave girl in Acts chapter 16 possessed with a spirit of divination and had brought her masters much profit through fortune telling, when she kept proclaiming, these men are, 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 are children or servants of the Most High God, the Bible says that Paul looked back and immediately discerned a, a, a wicked spirit in her. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. Paul, the love of Christ compels me. That's why handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were sick and diseased and the demons left them. There was such an overflow of power. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. My cup runneth over with power. The oil came. The anointing comes when unity and love is at work. That's why 1 John says, let us not merely love in word, but in action and in truth. Sincerity. Jesus had a crowd follow him for three days. And the, the, his own disciples came to him. Send the people away. They're, they're, they're getting hungry. Jesus looked at him and said, don't send them away. 
Don't send them away. See, that's what happens when the gifts of the Spirit are not at work in the body of Christ. We have to send everyone away. We have to, we have to totally become a referral center rather than a solution bank for the people and a lost generation. Hey, Isaiah, if you haven't caught our broadcast from Tuesday, I would encourage you to go. It was a powerful broadcast. And also, he's on Tuesday, Tuesday nights and, and Friday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if you don't already follow him, I'd follow him. The guy's a, a, a voice of the Holy Ghost on the earth and a great man of God. You go ahead and steal whatever you want. There's no, there's no copyright on the Holy Ghost. He didn't send them away. He said, you give them something to eat. Where am I going to find such amount of food in this wilderness? So much bread. We only have like 300 denarii. What's that going to buy? Can it suffice to feed? We got like 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And what did Jesus do? See, that's the, man, the, the way of man. God says you're to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and man immediately goes back to, well, how are we going to do that? I guess the way we can do it is naturalize the gifts, that the gifts of healing must be the gift to be a proper surgeon. The gift of the word of knowledge must be someone who's just uh, highly knowledgeable. The gift of the word of wisdom must be somebody who's just uh, more wise than the rest. The gift of, uh, of, of discerning of spirits is just the gift of criticism, which it's not. These are not natural gifts. They wanted to supply food for 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with natural means. But Jesus doesn't, did not call and commission the church to operate by a natural methods and means. The Bible says he gave us power through these gifts so that when the multitudes come thronging in, thronging in, we don't have to send them away. We now have the solution. The, when people come into your church and they're bound and bruised and bound by satanic spirits in their mind, you don't have to send them away. You can use the gift of the working of miracles to release an anointing, to break the yoke of captivity on their mind. When someone comes in and their doctors have given up on them, they have stage four terminal illness, six weeks to live. You don't have to refer them to another specialist. You can refer them to the greatest specialist, Jesus, the great physician. And through the gifts of, the, uh, of healing, you can then lay hands on the sick, see them recover. Someone comes in. And, and, and they're not sure what their future holds. And they're worried you can give them the gift of prophecy and prophetically speak into their life for edification, for exhortation, for comfort, so that they'll know that their tomorrow will be all right and it'll build a strength to get through. That just like Jesus, that, that man, Matthew 6 was the word, that was a gift of prophecy uh, through his preaching, operating. Because if you read it carefully, he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll put on. Don't worry about your body as to what you'll eat. Life is more than clothing. Life is more than food. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is, 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 is its troubles. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else is going to be added unto you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. All will be well. That's what the gift of prophecy does. It's divine inspiration. It's it's the Holy Ghost utterance through you that brings edification and comfort. So if someone comes in distraught, distressed, panic attacks, not knowing what to do, you now have. You don't have to refer them to a counselor or a psychologist. You can preach life. That like Ezekiel, when the valley full of dry bones was shown to him, God didn't say, now stand back and watch me deal with it. No, he said, Ezekiel, I'm undertaking you the task to bring 
this ba- this bo- these bones back to life. And Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. When you read the word and study it and get it in your heart to overflow, it'll start out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth will start to speak. And when you start to speak these things, dry bones start to come alive again. Hallelujah. There are people around you that are dependent upon your testimony to come back alive. There's people around you that are weary and growing weary and are tired and 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 and, and distraught and ready to throw in the towel and quit. But if you'll begin to prop through, use that gift of what a wonderful, no wonder Paul said, especially that you might prophesy. Because as you prophesy, you're infusing divine life. Jesus said these words I'm speaking to you. They are spirit and they are life. That no matter how down, uh, David said it this way, oh, why so downcast, oh my soul, hope in God. Prophecy builds up a person's hope in God so that he'll praise him again. You can build people's praise up by the words you speak to them. Hallelujah. I'm not going to be a referral center. I refuse to have somebody who comes to me with help, needing help, and then me tell them to go some to some heathen person to get help from for their case. Jesus was not outsourcing and contracting out his work elsewhere. He rose to the occasion. Because he was confident in whom he believed. And John 14, 12 says, The works you see me do, ye will do and greater works because I'm going to the Father. Not the works you see me do, don't bother going out. No, greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father. It's about time we have people rise up in this generation. And stop having a form of godliness. But deny the power that's actually able to set people free. Ezekiel didn't hear from God. And then him go into the valley of dry bones. And then just try to like get crazy glue. And just and he spent three years there assembling. A, no. You'll find out. Hallelujah. When you speak by the gifts of the Holy Ghost. When you begin to operate by these gifts. Even what could not be done in a lifetime of natural efforts. Gets done cheaply. Effortlessly. As you operate in the power of His might. That's why the Bible says the manifestation of these gifts is given to the profit of everybody. It profits you. Godliness prof- is profitable in all things. It helps you. The gifts were not given to suppress you. The gifts were given to help you. To increase you. Look at how... I mean, did Jesus have to run advertising campaigns in Samaria? That woman of Samaria, when she came at the well and Jesus stood by her, and he said, he said to her, uh, woman, go and get me a drink of water. And she said, who are you to tell me that? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. We have no dealings together. And he said, if you would know the gift of God and who it is that's telling you, get me a gift of water, you wouldn't say that. And then she ends up talking about, you know, herself a little bit. And Jesus immediately goes in, go and call your husband. I have no, I have no husband. You're right in that you say you have no husband. You've had five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband. That was the word of knowledge at work. He could have not, Jesus couldn't have known that. He never met her before. That was the first encounter. It's like when I was preaching in, in Montreal once 
And there was a lady that was in the meeting, had OCD, depression. And I, I, you can't tell if someone has OCD and depression just by looking at them. It's not like she, she came to the meeting like this and with like gloves on and stuff. She, she looked like a normal person, look, looked like everybody else. Called her out as I got near her. The gift of the word of knowledge came on me. And I started to talk to her about her problems, her OCD. That's what it'll, it'll do. It'll build a faith in that individual so that you don't have to do anything else when you, when you invite them to come to Christ. They'll be the one eagerly to say, man, I need to get right with God. The Bible says that when the gifts are operating, the heathen will come in among you and report that God is truly working in your midst. The church is trying to accomplish the Great Commission without the power of God. And it's just failed miserably. Because Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And in my name, you know, people will get saved. No, in my name, you'll cast out devils. In my name, you'll pick up deadly serpents and they'll not harm you. In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. This is a supernatural task. And we're not called to go in natural means. There's a power called the Holy Ghost that when we cooperate with Him and release these gifts in manifestation through us, what cannot be done. I mean, you look at the Hebrides revival in the Scottish Isles. What couldn't be done in... in it's not just explaining the gospel. It's not just telling about Jesus. What couldn't be done in just vocal expression got done as they began to not only hear about Christ, but to see His power at work. Job says, My eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. I've heard of thee with the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen. He wasn't convinced until he saw. This generation is not going to get convinced until they see this gospel. What's this gospel? Jesus said, the end will not come until this gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the earth. What is this gospel? Matthew 4, 23 to 25. The Bible says, and he went about teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. This gospel is not a gospel of just make it through life and you'll get to heaven. This gospel is he took me out of the miry clay and he set me on a feet on the rock to stay. This gospel is he lifted me up out of the dunghill. He lifted me up out of the ash heap. This gospel is not just a spiritual, ethereal thing. This gospel is practical. It helps people. Jesus said, go and preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand and when the kingdom of God is at hand these signs shall follow you'll heal the sick, you'll cleanse the leper, you'll raise the dead you'll work miracles, you'll set the oppressed free, you'll proclaim release to the captives Acts chapter 8, Philip did exactly that. And he didn't have to post advertising campaigns. People just gravitated towards him. The Bible says, and the, the whole multitude came to hear and be healed by Jesus. Look at that, Melissa. She comes to my church. I preached. She had never, I never met her. She never met me. I preached one Sunday morning. Called her out by the word of knowledge. Spoke right into her ear. Lay her hands on her, and that she's been on a, a on a a fire trajectory since. Hasn't missed a meeting, prayer meeting, nothing. Has not missed one meeting. Anytime the doors of the house of God are open, she's there. Her and her husband. I I, I could have I could have gotten every apologist's defense, and I'm not against apolog apologists and the ministry of the apologists and all that and and what they do. Ravi Zacharias was a great man of God, and there's great apologists on the earth today. I have 
I'm not against that. I'm, I'm for that. At least they're doing something. And a lot of people were wanting to the Lord through Ravi Zacharias' ministry. However, I couldn't have given her the best defense as to why this stuff is real. I couldn't have led her in a, and not just her, anybody else that comes to Christ. The Bible says flesh and blood can't reveal it unto you. It's not information. It's not information they need. It's demonstration. And even if someone comes to the Lord through information, it's not information that's going to keep them because your mind is the wayside. It's tossed to and fro like the wind. That's why Paul said you're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. When you start to see God's power, it puts something in you, a fear for God. That even when your mind starts to run wild, your heart is always convicted of its reality. I didn't even get into the definition of these gifts. Let me just stick with three gifts today. We'll do the, the revelation gifts. The gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge, and the gift of, of discerning of spirits. We'll do those, those three gifts today. And then maybe next week I'll continue. Revelation gifts. Number one, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is when God reveals something to you that could not have been known through the natural, through your senses. It's not something you study or learned. It's not something you were informed of. Someone did not have an earpiece in my ear as I went and spoke to Melissa or anyone else that received the word of knowledge through our ministry and then, you know, I was just receiving down. That, that didn't happen. Nobody came beforehand and said, hey, I'm bringing a friend to church. Uh, could you please, they're struggling with this. That doesn't happen. That's not the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is when you receive, flesh and blood cannot reveal it unto you. Only the Father who is in heaven. And an uh, Old Testament example of that is when Daniel interprets the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, show me the dream that I had. How could I show you the dream? God gave him a word of knowledge and it showed him. The word of knowledge deals with that which already exists. It's not something of the future. It's not, that's the word of wisdom, which we'll get into. But the word of knowledge deals with things that exist. Old Testament example. The Bible talks about Elisha revealing strategy of war that a foreign king had against Israel. And every time that they'd come up and devise a new strategy, Elisha would reveal to the king of Israel. And then they knew exactly their plan of attack and would organize a defense against it. And finally, the Assyrian king said, who is this man? Show, he thought it was one of his commanders, his generals that were traitors. So he said, which one of you is for the king of Israel? And he said, they said, none, my lord. But there's one in Israel, Elisha the prophet, who reveals the things that we devise, even the things that you speak in your own bedroom. It's the word of knowledge. Number two, the word of wisdom. Uh, let me go with actually New Testament examples of the word of knowledge. We talked about jo uh, John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus telling her, you've had five husbands. The one you're not with is not your husband. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then right there, she was convinced. The word of knowledge helps to convince. That's why some of these gifts, you'll notice that in a service, they're actually interlinked. 
It's like a linked chain. When you start tugging on one, a bunch of them start falling. So I've had it where I've gone and I've given a word of knowledge that Lord showed me there was a problem in the body, in a specific area of someone's body. And when they saw that, they knew, man, I've never told. There was a lady in, in Laval. She had uh, stage four ovarian cancer. She hadn't told anybody. She hadn't even told her close relatives. And in that service, I called her out and I told her to put her hand on her belly. And she's like, already, what? And I said, you will not die, you will live. And that disease lives, leaves your body right now. Well, by the word of knowledge, it actually kicked off the gifts of healing in her body so that she was given a couple of months to die. She's still alive today. I see her every time I go back to that church. A lovely lady. And testified, a year and a half later, testified in the church that uh, when she went, when she went to, to the doctors to get the x-ray, they found no more cancer in her body. Totally gone. And it hasn't returned. So you see how they're linked. That's what the word of knowledge is so helpful. Because if they weren't convinced by your preaching, Jesus said, if you don't hear the words that I speak, at least believe ye because of the works that ye see me do. So if they don't believe the words, Jesus said, at least believe because of the works. It, act, it, put, it convinces. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for. So faith, the word of knowledge will put an increased conviction in their heart that we're not blowing so smoke, that we're not a, a nonprofit 501c3, some other organization, a religion, that we're all coupled in with every other world religion, that there's something that separates us. Paul, uh, Moses said in Exodus 33, Lord, if your presence doesn't come with us, don't let us go another step. What distinguishes us on the earth except your presence that goes with us? Nothing distinguishes us except the gifts of the Holy Ghost flowing through us. That's why you'll see Lakewood Church, uh, Joel Osteen, the church he has now, study the history of that church. His father, John Osteen, was a Holy Ghost fire preacher. And when that church was 500 people, they, that man, John Osteen, would operate in the gifts of the Spirit, give out word of knowledge, working of miracles, prophecy, everything, discerning of Spirit. There'd be demons coming out in his meetings. And every major growth of that church can be linked back to, through a, to a manifestation of the gifts in John Osteen's ministry. They were like peaking at 2,500 people at one point. Now they're like 50,000 or whatever on Sunday morning. They have that big, uh, the Houston, Houston Rockets old, um, old uh, basketball dome that they use now as their main sanctuary, state of the art. But I want you to know that when they were peaking at 2,500, so like you talk, start talking about Joel Osteen, the numbers automatically go down. As people have their heads up their rear sometimes. Well, I've heard Joel Osteen on an interview and he didn't say, who cares what he, who cares what he didn't say? Did he, re did he recant it? Did he repent of it? Yeah, he did. So forget what lies behind. If God doesn't remember it, why would you? The fact is, oh, all he does is talk about blessing and encouragement. So did Barnabas. That's why his name was Barnabas, son of encouragement. He was a son of encouragement. Barnabas was always encouraging. Even when Paul said, uh, leave, uh, leave John Mark behind, he, he, he's really, he's put a break in my step. The Bible says, that uh, Barnabas was the one that took in John Mark and encouraged him, made sure he didn't quit the ministry. 
There's balance in the body of Christ. And I know people who came to Christ and are fire-filled Christians because of John, uh, Joel Osteen's sermons on XM Sirius Radio and all that. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Has he, has he done things that were shady? Of course, everyone has. But he's repented and since then clarified, and, and it, it's back on track. But John Osteen, they were peaking at 2,500, and then in the top of the stands of the church they were in, there was a man that was crippled, and by the gifts of the Spirit and the working of miracles, he called that man up. They brought him, and he worked a miracle in front of the whole audience on live TV. So if this doesn't work, his reputation's out the door. And John Osteen would work the miracle, pull him out of a wheelchair, and the man started to run around the auditorium, and the church skyrocketed from there. You want to know why there are 50,000 people? Because study its history. John Osteen would flow in the gifts on Sunday morning on live television. So if he, he would call someone out. Lady, stand up in the, in, in the middle aisle. Lord shows me that this, this, and this has been going on in your life. And they'd break down crying. I was just watching an evangelist today. And he was in a meeting. And uh, a lady was there. You couldn't tell she had any problems with her eyes. She wasn't even wearing glasses. And he goes up to her and says, your right eye. There's, I'm looking. There's nothing wrong with her. She looks just as normal as I do. And I have 20-20 vision. Your right eye has been causing you blurriness. And um, it's actually linked to this, this, and that. And the doctors told you. And she just starts weeping. And he lays hands on her. And she comes out. Her eyes cleared out. Totally healed by the power of God. These gifts work. And they work for our profiting. Next, word of wisdom. This is what most, pro most prophets, Old and New Testament, and current day prophets operate by this gifting. The word of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 and verse 7 says, That he may known unto us the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom which God has ordained before the ages for our glory. So there's a hidden wisdom that God has for us. And that's the wisdom of the future. It's hidden. It's unknown to men. Unbeknownst to men. And the Bible says, had the rulers of this world known that wisdom, what was the wisdom? It was the, the prophecies from Psalms, from Isaiah, from uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah, Job, of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ coming, suffering at the hands of men and raising from the dead at the, on the third day and obtaining salvation for the entire world. That was... You know, Psalm 22, David said he, they pierced his hands and his feet. The Bible says, had the rulers of the world and demonic powers known that wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified Christ because they, they would have known that by crucifying Christ, they were actually just furthering the plan of God to get for world evangelization. So the, the wisdom of God, the word of wisdom is when God gives you a fragment or a picture. It's not the entire future, but it's a fragment. It's a portion. It's partial revelation of what the future holds. Uh, there's a man of God. I think of right now. They were looking at acquiring a new building because they were outgrowing the building of, for their ministry that they're in right now. And uh, a, a prophet came to him and said that the building you have across the street, that's the building you're to acquire. And he said... Well, we've already inquired for that building, of course. It's the same owner of this building. But 
they're not selling it. Oh, sorry, not they're not selling it. They are selling it, but the, there's already a bid and there's already an offer and it's it's already sold. There's someone who's already buying it. They're in the process of buying it and uh, there's no way we'll ever get it in the natural. And the prophet turned to him and said, that's a building God has put in your hands and the way you'll know this is because the sale's going to fall through and when it falls through, you'll know that that's time to come in and buy it. Well, how could he have known that? He saw in his eye, he saw in his spirit that the, the offer for that building was going to fall through. And so it was. Weeks later, the, the offer fell through. And not only that, the owner of the building ends up calling that evangelist's office and saying, hey, I don't know what it is. This building can't sell. And uh, I have you guys on our heart. If you want it, it's yours. And we'll give you, we'll give you a great deal on it. And that was it. It helps a lot. Elisha, when there was a famine in Israel and they had been embanked on every side so nobody can go out and take in the harvest of food. Nobody can go out. So they had, uh, they had totally depleted the resources in the city. And, and they came to Elisha and Elisha said, by this time tomorrow, a barley of wheat will be sold for this and such and such a price and uh, grain will be sold for such and such a price. And the economic analysts said, how can these things be? Even if God would open up the windows of heaven, such a thing will never happen. And Elisha said, you'll see it with your eyes, but you'll not eat of it. And the next day, imagine being in the Great Depression one day where people are literally eating uh, pigeon dung, pigeon stool is being sold and consumed by people. And then someone coming up and saying, "By this, it would be like me coming out and saying by this time tomorrow, a gallon of gas will be sold for 12 cents in all the United States of America. And in Canada, it'll be like three cents a liter. Now, if I was wrong, that would have been the end of my ministry. But by the word of wisdom, Elisha, the word of the Lord came true. And the man who came against and said, should the Lord, should the Lord even open up the windows of heaven? Nothing like, like that will ever happen. That man was given the task of overseeing the food. And they trampled him underfoot and he died. So it never goes good speaking against the word of wisdom or against prophetic decrees. If someone says something and you might not totally agree, it's like when Isaiah Saldivar, come to think of it, in, no, in November, I remember him saying that he was going to slow down his schedule of traveling and focus in the new year on building up his online platform because the Lord spoke to him, the days of going into churches and preaching in churches is soon going to cease and so focus online. I remember when he said that. I myself, in my head, I never said it to anybody. I might have like said to my wife, you know, I, I, what is he doing? Why would he do that? Man. I remember thinking, how, wh why would he do that? Like, you know, he's having doors open everywhere. Uh, great churches. A, a great schedule. And I was thinking like, I don't understand that. But I didn't, I didn't speak against it. I said, that can't be the Lord. No, I didn't say that. So, you know, whatever it is, whatever he says, I pray he's right. Well, New Year comes around. This was in like November or not even November. This was like even pre, I think it was October. There was no mention of the coronavirus in America until like January, February. 
New Year comes around, coronavirus hits, churches shut down, and God, through the word of wisdom, showing him what was going to happen in 2020, gave him a, a, a head start on everyone else. I wish I had l listened to that <laughs> and gotten online even quicker. Because who knows, we could have been a step further even, uh, even ourselves. Because, you know, the Bible says, believe in his prophets and you will prosper. Lord showed him that. He had a head start. And now look how God's blessing his, his online ministry. All through the word of wisdom. And then number three, and I'll, I'll finish with this, is the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits is uh, the discerning of human spirits, angelic spirits, and demon spirits. Where the Lord, Lord shows you whether a man is operating on one of those three frequencies. Because there's some people who, who they operate by human hate. They don't like you, but it's a human hate. Then there's some people who operate by demonic hatred. They hate people. A lot of politicians are like this. They, they're not under the influence of a human spirit. They're not under in the influence of another human person, another, you know, a leader or some sort of person who's holding influence on him. No, they're operating by a demonic spirit of hatred. Give you an example. Racism. Anytime someone is racist, there is a demonic spirit at work. For someone to hate someone based on the color of their skin, based on to treat, not even to hate, to just treat them different. That's a form of hatred. That is a demonic spirit at work. When you have people that don't want to come to church, uh, I choose not to believe in it. That's not a demonic spirit at work. That's just them, you know, their flesh, their carnality. When someone makes it their point, like Nikita Khrushchev, to say, by the time I die, I will have buried the Bible, that is a demonic, that's an antichrist spirit at work against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have people in politics saying that if I get in power, I'll force the church to marry same-sex couples, that is a demonic spirit at work. I'll force. There's a hatred at work in them. Well, let me tell you the good news. Is when someone operates like that and comes against the church, Jesus said, on whomever this stone falls, it will crush him to pieces. And whatever tries to fall on this stone, it'll break. Nikita Khrushchev died and is buried. And the Bible is still being printed as the number one bestseller in the earth. Can you say amen? So the discerning of spirit enables you to, to see by the spirit whether someone is operating by a demonic influence, a hum, human influence, or also to discern uh, angels. Daniel discerned an angel in Daniel chapter 10. Acts chapter 27, Paul discerned an angel when he was shipwrecked for many days. The Bible says, there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I serve and belong, and he spoke to me. That was a discerning of spirits. He was able to visibly see an angel. Jesus operated in that in Luke chapter 4 when he was in the wilderness. He discerned Satan's presence. And then after he withstood uh, the three temptations of Satan, the Bible says angels came and ministered unto him. And even in the garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, an angel came and strengthened him. So that's the discerning of spirits. Jo John chapter 1, when he looked at Nathanael and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. He was, dis he was discerning Nathanael's spirit. Nathanael's spirit. He's, you, you know, this will help you a lot in your own personal dealings. You'll be able, and I'm, let me make a distinction. This isn't the, dis, the, 
the, critis the, the, the gift of criticism. This isn't the gift of suspicion, and this is not the gift of, um, of, uh, yeah, of criticism. And it's not the gift of discernment either. You're discerning a person's spirit. It's not the gift of suspicion where you're suspecting everyone's against you and so you're just living in paranoia the rest of your life. It's the gift of discerning of spirits where you'll begin to see people come in your life and you'll know whether they carry a lying spirit when they speak. I mean, there's a lying spirit. There's some people that you have to cut out of your life, but you're not able to see that they've just been lying to you this whole time. I know a man of God, the same one I've been talking about, actually. His name's Ted Shuttlesworth Sr. He was, uh, he had a ministry, he, he, he had his ministry growing and, and expanding. And there was uh, one of his, his secretaries, one of his workers that was plotting with another worker of his to like revolt against him and try and pretty much take his reputation, start their own ministry and run off on their own and steal a bunch of office supplies to get them a head start. And the Lord showed him, he saw it in a vision, what they were doing. And he distinguished their spirit through that. So he went and confronted them. And they, he confronted them that they had a lying spirit, that they were trying to deceive him. And what happened? He didn't have to go through the heartbreak of having his supplies. I think he had a bunch of chairs for his crusades. In his tent crusades, he used to pitch up that they were thinking of, of stealing and go and start their own tent crusades. And they'd have a head start because they wouldn't have to uh, invest in chairs. And he didn't have to go through that loss because of that, that discerning of spirits and the word of knowledge that God gave him a vision of what they were plotting to do. So these gifts are given to the profiting of all. Today was a teaching. You know, sometimes you have a preaching unction come on you and then sometimes you have a teaching unction come on you and you have to be sensitive to the, to the, to the two. But I pray this helped you a lot. And uh, my prayer for you right now is that the Lord, as you begin to crave for these things to flow through your life, that they'll begin to effortlessly flow through you. That as you branch yourself in, just like I started off this, uh, this broadcast by saying, the house may have electricity, but you need to connect the appliance to harness the electricity to produce what you want done in your life. I pray, I pray that the Lord would put on you a craving to earnestly and fervently desire these gifts to come through you to come and flow through you. You know, another way that you crave for these gifts to flow is to sit under those who flow in them. If you're desiring the word of knowledge to flow through you, sit under those that are operating proficiently in the word of knowledge. I have people I listen to and study and watch. I observe to do what they do. You know, when you study Jesus raising uh, Tabitha from the dead, he got near the, he put everyone outside, he got near the bed, and he said, Tabitha, arise. When Peter in Acts chapter 9, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter, where was it? Acts chapter 13, I believe it is. When he went in, and Dorcas had died, and they, they contended for Peter to come and lay hands on her that she might live again. He did the exact same thing. He put everyone out of the house, he got near her bed, and said, Dorcas, arise. Talitha Kumai. So you see that he observed the ministry of Jesus, how he did things. So not only can you observe men of God on the earth, if you'll study the Gospels 
and see how Jesus flowed, it'll actually enable you to excel in those gifts. And remember, the, way, the reason we want to excel in these gifts, 1 Corinthians 14 says, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Your excelling in these gifts should be for the edification of those around you, to build up the people around you. So, Father, I pray for everyone watching right now that as they begin to crave for these things to work in them, like you did after Paul was baptized in the Holy Ghost, these things began to naturally flow through them. Some of them, he didn't even know they were happening, but they were happening. I pray, Lord, that there'd be times where they don't even know they're given a word of knowledge, but there's a word of knowledge coming forth from their mouth. In the name of Jesus Christ. And that you would train them up in these gifts to excel in the operational use of them. So that at any given time, when someone comes to them in need of help, they'd be able to pull out a tool from the tool belt of the gifts of the Spirit and supply the help that, someone, that the person in need has need of. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to say this wherever you're at, out of your mouth. Father, I desire to be used by you. Father, I am interested in the plan that you have prepared to evangelize the generation I'm in. From this day, use me in these weapons and gifts and tools to facilitate this end time harvest coming in. Let this light shine in me that men might see your good works and glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my only point of exhortation is step out. If you see some in a wheelchair and you're gripped with compassion and it tears you up, that's probably, see, it's the working of miracles. But a lot of people miss the miracles because they're not doing the work. God can move on you. But just the Spirit of God brooding over the surface of the deep did not bring creation. God had to speak and act. So begin to speak and act. Moses was at the Red Sea complaining, Lord, what are we going to do? The Lord said, why are you crying to me? Take the rod, which is a type of the gifts of the Spirit, and with it, do signs and wonders. God's given you the gifts. They're in you. You unlock them by taking a step of faith. Peter and John at the gate called Beautiful, they see a man lame, crippled from his mother's womb, begged for alms and charity and silver and gold. They said, we don't have, but such as I do have, we give unto you. And by the working of miracles, stretched out their hand, and picked them up and said, get up and walk. They worked the miracle. God said, walk around Jericho on the seven days, seven times, and it'll fall. Israel didn't say, well, let's just gather hands and let's just pray that God will make these walls fall. No, they walked, they worked, and the walls came down. Jesus spat on the ground, 
took clay, wiped it on the man's eyes and said, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and came back seen. He worked the miracle. And I'll give you a difference between, this is just coming up now and I feel this is need, needed. The gift of faith and the working of miracles. They both accomplish pretty much the same. The gift of miracles, the working of miracles, God works through you. And then there's something called the gift of faith where God does it for you. So there's some things you work and then the gift of faith is the, my opinion, one of the greatest gifts because it benefits you a whole lot. Daniel was sleeping in the lion's den and the angel came and the Bible says, my God delivered me because I trusted in him. So Daniel didn't have to fight off the lions. He, he, the gift of faith was working in him. When Moses spoke to the rock and the waters flowed, that was the gift of faith. So there was nothing needed on man's end. But the working of miracles is God working through Samson to take up the jawbone of a donkey and destroy a thousand Philistines. It's God's supernatural ability working and flowing through you. For him to take two pillars of a temple and crash it down, that's a, that's a miracle. That's not human strength. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.